the New Testament office holders. A number of those mentioned in the New Testament as converts to Christ held office. Among these were Matthew, the eunuch, Cornelius, Paul, the Philippian jailer, and, as is supposed, Erastus. It is not said of any one of these that he gave up his office. Of these we know the afterlives of Matthew and Paul only. Those whose afterlives are given, having surrendered their offices, creates the presumption that the others did so too. It is not said that those who worshipped idols ceased to worship them on their conversion to Christ. It is not said that those who stole or lied or were habitual drunkards or whoremongers ceased to follow those sins. Yet no one doubts that they did forsake these sins because it was well understood that the Christian religion demanded the cessation of such courses, and no declaration that they ceased the practices was needed. Now, if it was equally true that it was well understood by all, friend and foe, that a profession of the Christian religion involved a ceasing to support human government, it would no more need a declaration that an officer on his conversion ceased to hold his office than that a rogue on his conversion ceased to steal. The failure to mention one would be no more evidence of its approval than the failure to mention the other. All, both friend and foe, did understand this very thing. The long tutelage of Judaism and its separation from human governments had impressed it. The Savior had declared he was not a citizen of even the Jewish government. His opponents understood it. This apprehension was the ground of the slaughter of the male children in and around Bethlehem. Christ, in the payment of the tax required of strangers but not of the children, refused to claim that exemption to which his birth entitled him and placed himself among the strangers to human governments. It was on the clear apprehension of this truth by the scribes and Pharisees and lawyers that they based the effort to entrap him in reference to paying tribute to Caesar. It was clearly understood he was proposing to build a kingdom that would uproot and destroy Caesar's kingdom, and they thought he would forbid the paying of tribute to him. It was clearly understood he was proposing to build a kingdom that would uproot and destroy Caesar's kingdom, and they thought he would forbid the paying of tribute to him and thus furnish them an accusation to secure his condemnation. It was on this well-understood truth that he was in antagonism to the governments of earth, and so an enemy of Caesar, that his death warrant was extracted from Pilate. His disciples so understood and asked, Wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It was so strongly impressed that the Holy Spirit must needs bid the disciples be subject to the powers that be, submit to kings and governors, obey magistrates, etc. This general and well-defined understanding of both friend and foe on this subject, taken together with the fact that those converted officers whose lives are given all gave up their offices, makes the presumption strong that all did give up their offices, and certainly throws the necessity on those who would affirm the right of Christians to hold office of finding a clear precept or example for the same. Can it be found? While I have a right to demand the proof that they did hold office, I yield the vantage ground to which the position is entitled and affirm not one of them continued to hold office. In addition to the reasons presented why a Christian cannot hold office, the peculiar duties required of at least two of these officers would absolutely prohibit their continuing in office. 
The centurion and the jailer were officers in the Roman government. It was persecuting Christians. The work of the centurion at the crucifixion of Christ was to have him crucified, then to seal and guard the tomb. His duty was to arrest, scourge, and place in the stocks or execute men and women convicted of being Christians. It was the duty of the jailer to imprison Christians, place their feet in the stocks, lacerate their bare backs, cast them into the dungeons, and keep them fast and safe. This work of arresting and imprisoning Christians a Christian could not do. The escape of the Christian prisoner subjected the jailer to such torture that he of Philippi preferred death by his own hand to incurring it. He was saved from this by Paul assuring him, We are all here. His conversion caused him to loose them at once. Now, if their escape without his connivance involved such punishment, what must his willful loosing them bring on him? Yet he took them out and incurred the risk. Beyond a doubt, the wonderful occurrence excused his course in the eyes of the magistrates on the ground, but as the governor was not present, was not so terror-stricken, and still continued the persecution, it is probable that greater wrath was excited against the jailer, aggravated by his becoming a Christian, and hence himself a criminal to be punished with death, and that he paid the penalty by torture and a dreadful death, unless he fled." Had we his later history, it would much more likely be of his death than of his continuance in office. Then the government itself was seeking to destroy Christians. They were regarded as rebels and traitors to the government. It would not have tolerated Christians as its officers had they been willing to continue in office. It is certainly true that neither Cornelius nor the jailer continued in his office. Erastus, it is claimed, at the time the letter to the Romans was written, was acting as treasurer of the city of Corinth. The ground for this is, Paul writing to the church at Rome from Corinth said, Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you, and Quartus a brother. While the treasurer, or properly steward of the city, may mean the treasurer of the city government, it may mean the steward for the church in the city. The whole context is so directly concerning church matters that this would seem the more reasonable, and as we shall find by further consideration more in harmony with what else we know of Erastus and of the relations of the government to the church and to Christians. Some writers report that he held this same position in the church at Jerusalem at an earlier period. The letter to the Romans was written during the intensity of the persecution of the church by Nero. It is morally impossible the government seeking to annihilate the church should, in so prominent and influential a city as was Corinth, having constant communication with all parts of the empire, tolerate a Christian in so high and important an office as treasurer of the city. It is impossible that it should have tolerated so active, well-known, and earnest a man as was Erastus. Erastus is first introduced to us in Acts 19 and verse 21. After Paul had left Corinth, and while at Ephesus, he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. Erastus, with Timothy, was traveling with him on one of his missionary tours. This was in the year 59. 
Paul had left Corinth before this, and Erastus may have been converted during his year and six months' stay in that city. But the report of his having been at an earlier day with the church in Jerusalem has already been referred to, and indicates the probability that he went with Paul to Corinth from Jerusalem as a missionary worker. But he sent Erastus with Timothy from Ephesus into Macedonia. We know not how long they remained on the Macedonian mission, but doubtless some time, as their trip seems to have been to supplement an intended visit of Paul which was for the time delayed. Macedonia was from three to five hundred miles both from Ephesus and Corinth. Paul remained in Asia for a season, doubtless through the winter and until the next season for navigation. But in the twentieth chapter, after the escape of Paul from the Ephesian mob, we are told he followed on to Macedonia, where he doubtless joined Timothy and Erastus, whence he went to Greece, of which Corinth was the chief city. Timothy did not accompany him to Corinth, but Erastus most likely did. Paul remained three months at Corinth and wrote the letter to the church at Rome during this stay in the year 60. Erastus was then called the Chamberlain. He was no nearer Corinth when in Macedonia than when in Ephesus. He doubtless spent some time in Macedonia. He would not have gone three or four hundred miles out of his way to Corinth unless it had been necessary that he should remain with these Macedonian churches for a time. While at Corinth, in the year 60, Paul wrote the letter to the Romans and then calls Erastus the chamberlain of the city. The case is this, then. It is doubtful if Erastus had been a citizen of Corinth up to this time, but if he was, he had been absent with Paul two or more years on a missionary tour through Asia and Macedonia. He reaches Corinth, and within three months after his arrival, Paul calls him treasurer of the city. Does anyone believe that after a two years' absence on a missionary tour preaching, he arrived at home and in this prominent city was so soon made its treasurer? Certainly not. Some years after this, Paul, writing to Timothy, giving an account of those who had been his companions in labor, said, Erastus abode at Corinth. This would hardly been told if Corinth had been his original home, but it indicates that after traveling around as a missionary, he made his final stopping place at Corinth. Then Erastus was certainly not the treasurer of the city. If the expression really means the treasurer of the city organization, it must have been in consequence of his having held that position before his conversion, as we call a judge by his title after the expiration of his office. But I think it simply means he was the steward of the church in the city of Corinth, as he is reported previously to have been in Jerusalem. Some writers, seeing the impossibility of the traveling companion of Paul being the treasurer of the city, conclude that two different persons of the same name are mentioned. But circumstances indicate clearly that all the references are to the same person. It is impossible he should have been the treasurer of the city at the time the Roman letter was written. If he was not then, he could not have been for two or three years preceding this, for he was absent preaching with Paul. If he was a former citizen of Corinth, he must have been converted during Paul's eighteen months' sojourn there, so could not have been the treasurer of the city after his conversion. Thus vanishes the last vestige of an example of a Christian holding office in the New Testament times.